You know what? I'm going to take it even further back than that. Because okay. when I think about what I've read with female protagonists in kind of uh, crime fighting situations and what I've watched, you look at people <coughs> like Miss Marple, who yeah. was a lovely woman that who had to, she was super intelligent, who could see what was going on and had to nudge Inspector Stack, who was an idiot, into understanding what was going on around her. It took them a long time to give her credit. And she was always very quiet. She kept her, her brilliance under wraps. Um, and then, you know, you move forward to people like Miss Fisher, who was more flamboyant. And she was the Australian New Zealand character who was an amazing feminist um, at a time in the 1940s and 50s, but um, was very, very pretty. And so she always had to say feminine, even though she was really brave. And then as you move forward in time, you start seeing them becoming more and more gritty, more flawed and more, more real people. And what I'm thinking of is the one that the character that uh, the former Supreme Court of Canada judge uh, Beverly McLaughlin did when she did her first book, the, her first Jilly Truett book. So this is a woman who's had rough times, who does drink too much sometimes. You know, you, you can see that that she's struggling to deal with many things. And it's not just a pretty picture. It's not just someone who is polite and pleasant and um, asks for permission. Yeah, And so they will actually stand up for themselves and they will push those boundaries harder than, than I think we saw in the earlier protagonists. sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. I still think I need a new intro, but anyways, maybe maybe next season, 2022. My name is Joanna, and today my nurse shout out, I have two nurses, and the shout outs are going to Nurse Kelly and Nurse Liz. Thank you to all the nurses for what you do. Yes. And I want to do a woohoo, but I want to make sure I don't lose my internet connection. It is that fussy where I live right now. But thank you. Thank you so much. Today, I have short story author and first time novelist, Susan Jane Wright. Her first legal thriller, Box of Secrets, is being released October 19th, 2021. So I'll just over two weeks. So Susan, how are you? And how is Rudy? 
Well, I'm doing really well, thank you. And thank you for that nurse shout out. We here in Alberta, of course, are super grateful to our nurses and all the medical professionals who are helping us through this really rough time. It's it's pretty dire here. And these these professionals are just giving it their all. So really grateful for that. And as you also know, Nurse Kelly is my daughter. So there's a special shout out there. But yes, we're doing really well. And uh, even Rudy, who, who came to your studio and took over for one session is um, um, back in gear doing his little doggy thing. Good, good. Yes. Ozzy, I think has forgiven Rudy for that little skirmish. <laughs> little takeover. Yes. Um, yeah. And um, I'm, and everyone's staying healthy and safe that that's, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yes. Good. Oh, good. Okay. Now please correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, now it was your short story Madeline in the Moonlight? Mm-hmm, that's right. Okay. That was published in Moonlight and Misadventures Anthology, which was published by Judy Penshalak's Superior Shores Press. Now you also have Box of Secrets. It was a Crime Writers of Canada Awards of Excellence finalist. And now you're indie publishing it. I got to say, despite Despite our current situation for 2021, this has been quite the year for you, wouldn't you say? Oh, I would say so too. Yes, I was just thinking about it when when you were asking me the question about how much has been happening. And as you said, COVID makes everything more difficult and cross our fingers, we're all healthy here, which helps, but it's always more complicated. So my launch, which was going to be at one of our independent bookstores, Owl's Nest, is now going to go on to Zoom as opposed to in person because we just nobody wants to take that risk. Yeah. And uh, but I'm I'm forever grateful that we're okay, notwithstanding these difficult times, and that it's given me a chance to actually knuckle down and do the things that I've wanted to do for a long time. Oh, good, good, mm-hmm. good. And I totally understand what you mean about the launch because um, I know when I did my launch, I was ready. I knew in the back of my mind that at any time I could be pulling the plug on yeah. the real launch. Just my own comfort level and the comfort level of the people who were attending. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Okay. Now, how are you finding this indie author experience? Uh, actually, I'm loving it. And uh, I don't know if all your listeners know, but I'm being published by Aussie Imprints, which is mm-hmm. Joanna's um, publishing house. And I have to say, Joanna, the experience has been phenomenal because when you're new and you're starting out, there is so much that, those of us who pick up a book and read it don't understand about what goes into producing it. And so what I've come to realize is there's a phenomenal amount of work that goes into getting a book out onto the shelves and an awful lot of decisions that from what I understand, the traditional publishing houses um, don't give you as much flexibility with, you know, for example, we did, we did the cover. Uh, You and I worked on the cover design and I gave you some vague idea of what I kind of like. And you're, you're, you went ahead and you looked at different things you thought might reflect my vague vision. And you came back with some phenomenal um, ideas. And I was just thrilled to death with what I ended up with. Okay. And I've heard other traditionally published authors say they are presented with two covers that someone has created for them and they have to choose one and they don't like either. Yeah. And they're kind of stuck there. So the flexibility, the the ability to to put more of myself into this book in all of its aspects has really, really impressed me. So thank you for that. Oh, good. Well, I 
some people don't realize that I used to work, I did a little bit of contract work for the self-publishing agency in, out of mm-hmm. Vancouver. And I learned a lot from them and I'm still learning. Just because like you, you say, and I mean, on Instagram, I follow the hashtag book design just mm-hmm. to see what's out there. And um, when I get a book, I think it's an even balance of reading the book, but also opening it and just thinking, how did they do that? How did they create that book? Right. So, yeah, good. Well, that's good to hear. And thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. I think Ozzy's going to be getting his actually own email address, really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So let's get rid of the first basic question before we kind of dive deeper into your book. Can you tell us what Box of Secrets is about? And did you plan on publishing it during an election year? Yeah, that's interesting the way that worked out. So Box of Secrets is about, follows the story of a young lawyer, female lawyer, Evie Valentine, who has formed a partnership with Keith Lawson, who's a lawyer she used to work with at a big law firm. The two of them are in partnership together, and they're they're working on, uh, in the energy sector, primarily resource law and stuff, um, you know, in renewable resource law. And they land a really big client, huge client that's going to help keep them uh, steady state. And at the same time, she decides she wants to volunteer on the mayor's re-election campaign. She's, you know, he's a charismatic, dynamic fellow. Everybody loves him. She figures a few hours a day here and there, you know, what could possibly go wrong? And of course, everything goes wrong. <laughs> so that's what the story is about. And it, it follows it, it just unfolds over time as you go through the, the pre-election to election period and a little bit after that. Okay, cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your protagonist, e- Evie, mm-hmm. my daughter and I, we discussed protagonists. And I understand Evie is part of like the first book. This first book is part of a series. Yes. And if you're going to write a series, I believe that your protagonist that character you're spending a lot of time with that character and there has to be a connection okay mm-hmm. and um what is it about evie that makes you want to keep writing about her well evie like me is a lawyer and she went into law for the same reason i went into law law's got parameters and rules yeah. and she likes to have that sense of a, a foundation a legal foundation so what I was interested in is what happens when someone like that who believes that we follow the rule of law runs into people who are rich and powerful and the rules don't apply? Where does that push her? That when she's trying to, to um, do the right thing and she's met with what she sees is, is corruption and she's thinking about how to save herself and her, her firm and the people that she cares about in the face of phenomenal power, phenomenal influence, and phenomenal money. So that's why I'm interested in her as I'm watching her develop, just to just to see where she goes with that. Because it's it's as a, as a lawyer, it's quite a challenge. I could imagine. I could imagine. And I I just think of there have been a few um, examples on the news where mm-hmm. individuals just in our own country, and you just you're just like, wow, wow, <laughs> right? And yeah, okay. So what I like about your book, I remember the first kind of big books I've read w- involving lawyers. Um, it was John Grisham's The Firm. 
Yeah, I read that too. I, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. And I read a number. That's why I can't, I think Slander was one um, with William Deverell. You know, mm-hmm. he was a criminal lawyer. Yeah. And I like getting the female point of view of being a lawyer. Okay. Because now at that, in police, at that time in the 80s, it was the suits. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to be a panelist on the Western Wing, which is hosted by Eric D'Souza. And we're talking about female protagonists. So a female protagonist, she can be tough, but I think she can also be vulnerable. And Evie strikes me as intelligent. She's cunning. She's quick-witted, yet Mm -hmm. human. So how do you want the reader to perceive Evie? I'm glad that you described her that way, because that's the way I wanted her to be perceived. She's someone who's intelligent, who's principled, um, but she's not naive. And so when she comes face-to-face with corruption... Uh, and she realizes she's being pushed here. She has to think about what she's going to do and how she's going to react. And so I think she shows courage. And and the thing, one of the sentences that struck me that I kept kind of coming back to um, as I was going through the book was something that the former Supreme Court of Canada Justice Rosalie um, Abella said. She was an amazing Supreme Court judge. And she said, there's the rule of law and then there's the rule of justice. And sometimes they're not the same. So the rule of law can only get you so far. And she points out, obviously, a bigger example, which was, she said, under the rule of law, Germany created the concentration camps and killed people. She wow. said, but there's a rule of justice that, that is beyond the rule of law. And she said, we need to pay more attention to that. And what I see with Evie, not that she's certainly not a Rosalie Bella, but what I see with Evie is she's someone who is trying to find justice in a situation that is not just. And, and she knows she's got certain parameters that come from law, but she also needs to take other steps. And, and that's what that um, what I what I liked about her was she has an ability to do that while balancing her her compassion for her family and for the firm and for other things. Cool. cool. Yeah, just cool. OK, that's cool. All right. Okay. <laughs> that is neat. OK, so I have interviewed a number of female authors who are writing, I would say, the new female protagonist. Okay. And um, I think of your character, Evie, and what you've just mentioned. All right. So how do you think the female protagonist has evolved? And I'm, I'm going back to, let's say, when you were in your, when you were in your early 20s, how have you seen the female protagonist evolve? You know what? I'm going to take it even further back than that. Because okay. when I think about what I've read with female protagonists in kind of uh, crime fighting situations and what I've watched, you look at people <laughs> like Miss Marple, yeah. who was a lovely woman that who had to, she was super intelligent, who could see what was going on and had to nudge Inspector Stack, who was an idiot, into understanding what was going on around her. It took them a long time to give her credit. And she was always very quiet. She kept her, her brilliance under wraps. Um, and then, you know, you move forward to people like Miss Fisher, who was more flamboyant, and she was the Australian New Zealand character who was an amazing feminist um, at a time in the 1940s and 50s, but um, was very, very pretty. And so she always had to say feminine, even though she was really brave. And then as you move forward in time, you start seeing them becoming more and more gritty, more flawed, and more, more real people. 
And what I'm thinking of is the one that the character that uh, the former Supreme Court of Canada judge uh, Beverly McLaughlin did when she did her first book, her first Jilly Truett book. So this is a woman who's had rough times, who does drink too much sometimes. You know, you, you can see that that she's struggling to deal with many things. And it's not just a pretty picture. It's not just someone who is polite and pleasant and um, asks for permission. Yeah. And so they will actually stand up for themselves and they will push those boundaries harder than than I think we saw in the earlier protagonists. Okay. Good, good answer. Okay, good, cool, good. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now you have a distinct voice. Oh, good. Yeah. And in the first paragraph, that whole first paragraph, I like. I like your, like you said, I like your whole book. What I haven't, I realized this when I was doing the questions, I haven't really talked about, like, I know I've talked about characters a lot, but I don't think I've ever talked about the first line, the opening lines. And we're also going to get, talk a little bit about endings. Mm -hmm. So when I read your opening paragraph, it was the, the, it was like the last sentence gave the punch. Okay. So I, if you don't mind, I would love to read your opening paragraph. Sure, go ahead. Okay, okay, so here we go. So this is in the prologue. Secrets come in all shapes and sizes. Some are silly little things, embarrassing once revealed, but harmless. Others are complex, dark, and deadly with a venomous sting. Only a fool tampers with another person's secrets without knowing their contours. <laughs> I really like that. I really <laughs> like that. So tell me that wasn't a first draft inspiration hit you and you wrote that down. Um, and also if it was like, we're always told, like really when we pick up a book, we read, look at the front, we read the back, we read that first paragraph. So how much emphasis did you put on that first paragraph? That first paragraph did not come easily. Okay. It, it took a while to get there. And when I first did it, uh, the first few shots of it were um, almost too grandiose for the okay. story. And my wonderful editor yeah. suggested that when she had read it, she thought that we were going to talk about Armageddon or something. You know, okay. this, this was going to be a gigantic, huge story. And so um, it wasn't Armageddon. And so then I had to think about how I wanted to do it again. And it, it made me refocus into what are we really talking about here? You know, and, and what we're talking about is things people hide that uh, can blow up in your face if you touch them. Right. Yeah. And that was the whole idea of if you don't know what, what the contours are, you have to be very careful. It's like stepping on a landmine. Yeah. You don't know it's there. You're, you're doomed. But if you do know where it is, you can walk around it and, and eradicate it. So that, that was the, the kind of the concept of the secrets that, okay. that stood to harm people as as they were becoming they're more and more clear. I mean, Evie found out some things that um, people wanted her to keep quiet and she didn't. But she had to be very careful how she managed herself. Because of the powerful people that she's. Yes, the powerful people to whom rules do not apply. And, and sadly, that is you can see examples of that, you know, where the. The people who don't have power are the ones you see uh, jamming up uh, the court system and in, in the prisons. 
and the people with power manage to take forever to get be brought to justice, and even then they're not necessarily properly punished. It, it's if you got money, you can do a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. All right. So, like I said, I just edited and tweaked. We're going to switch it up a bit. We're going to go from the serious paragraph because I like your writing and I like, so we take it from the serious to the humor. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I just edited and tweaked a humor podcast and I had Eric D'Souza, Alice Bienya and CJ Papoutsis on the panel. That's a great lineup. Yeah. And you know, you should have been, I damn, I would have wanted you on there because <laughs> I started reading your book. I'm just like, damn. Okay. So that was sweet. Mm-hmm. We talked about different types of humor and you have these sprinkles of humor throughout and mm-hmm. you, they're in italics and, you know, like you'll have a character say something and then Evie will be like, first blush you know like I like how she will repeat the last thing like in her hair and her mind yeah. you know and like pear shape you know but the one that really got me was it was don't look at the horse's mouth and I have to, if you don't mind I really do would love to read this so people get the full context and then I'm, okay. I'm going to ask you why you like to include humor so just so people get the context of this Before I could point out that point, sorry, let me try this again. Before I could point out that of the two of us, Keith had considerably more municipal law experience than I did. A voice, the memory of my mom, whispered in my ear, don't look at the horse's mouth. As a Hungarian who immigrated to Canada in her 20s, she had a knack for garbling cliches. Once she toasted my sister with the heartfelt desire to throw to throw mud in her face. But mom was right. It was time to move on. Okay, so explain that to me. Don't look at the horse's mouth. And why why do you like including the humor? Well, it's funny because, you know, this is the beauty of first person uh, point of view is you, you can be right in the character. Yeah. And um, I see humor in many things. Evie sees humor in things. And if you're a well-rounded person, I think it's really helpful. It keeps your mental stability in shape anyway. And uh, when I was thinking about the situation Evie was in, this is where she's talking to Keith, her partner, about the fact that she wants to volunteer um, a couple of hours a day, one third of her time on the mayor's campaign. It shouldn't be a problem. And he's explaining to her that they've just gotten this great big, huge client who came in the door and he's going to have this great municipal file to work on. So they're having a conversation and she's concerned because this, this big file that came in the door seems to have come just out of nowhere with no, none of the normal um, things that happen when a big client comes to a law firm, they usually have a beauty contest. You have to demonstrate that your firm is the best firm in town to do this. They want a discount on their fee because they're so big. And none of these things are happening. And she's looking at Keith and she's she's challenging him saying, so didn't they ask for a discount? Did, didn't they want to, like, why did they come to us, not someone else? And that's when she hears her mother saying, what her mother would have said if she had the cliche right was, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. But the mother being the mother just got the horse part and the mouth part. And, and I, having been raised, as we both were, by a Hungarian mother, 
our mom did this all the time and it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so it, she's close to her family and this is what comes to mind. And then the other little ones that pop up when she's thinking about what she's saying as she's trying to explain to Keith why this is going to be a good idea, I should go volunteer on this campaign. She's using language that's a little bit archaic for her. And she's questioning herself saying, when I said to him, uh, you know, at first blush, blah, 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 it shouldn't be that big a deal. And then she's thinking first blush. Why did I say first blush? Yeah. You know, and, and it's what humans do, right? Yeah. You're, you're, something pops out of your mouth and you think, I can't believe I said that. Yeah. But there you go. Yeah, good, good, good. Because it, it, it made me chuckle. It, it mm. did. And uh, so I have to ask, because I noticed, okay, so through work, we have education educational webinars and literally I just came off of a webinar about capitalization Mm -hmm. and so as in in grammar as opposed to money yeah yeah (laughs) as in grammar (laughs) thank you yeah and um I noticed when I was reading that chicken man was in capitals and I'm like okay that's that's like a, a a proper formal name so I do have to ask, just tying it into the humor, is Chicken Man, was he like a, a real person? Chicken Man actually was a real person. And what she's talking about in this part of the book is she's talking about the last campaign that, that Michael, the, uh, the mayor who's running again, super charismatic, really bright man, um, won unexpectedly the first time around. And one of the candidates that ran against him was the chicken man. And so the chicken man, capital C, capital M, is, was a real person who ran in the, the Calgary municipal election. And his platform, his only thing he was going to do was make sure everybody could have chickens in their backyard. And that was his, that was him. So we all knew him as the chicken man. And, and I have to say the, the municipal election, you mentioned this earlier and I forgot to answer this part of the question. We are having a municipal election right now. Election day is October 18th, where we all vote. And my book comes out on the 19th. And this is just a strange coincidence. But in Calgary, we have 27 people running for mayor. There are so many people running for mayor that no one can keep them straight. And so when you get a half decent debate, you know, they always have these debates for the candidates to speak you've got like eight or nine guys on the stage and it's really confusing. And that's just leading, like, these are the, the better candidates. I, I don't know what it is about our city, but we tend to have all sorts of wild people step up and say, Hey, let me be your mayor. Wow. And, wow. and, and you know, I mean, there's one guy that keeps coming back every single municipal election. In fact, if we don't see him, we think he's died because oh. he's always there. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. So chicken man, Hey, Real guy. <laughs> he, right. he didn't win. He didn't win. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, and that's the other thing I find, Susan, is with writing. I had this experience you were talking about when your book, your launch is on October 19th. That's right. Elections October 18th. You're writing a novel that deals with, it's like a, it's a legal thriller around um, the circumstances of an election and it's to this day blows my mind when real life, like an election coming up, meshes with mm-hmm. fiction. And you just, as the author, you stand back and go, I didn't even plan this. You know, That's I right. did not even right. plan this. And I had that with the next book. I came up with this name of Coco mm-hmm. Street Nurse. And my daughter is out, you know, downtown east side for one day. 
And she said, mom, there is a real like person who works to help um, the individuals on the downtown east side. And she goes, and her name is Coco. And you just, you just, it's weird. And Mm -hmm. I think that's when you just think, okay, just go with this, go with this. Oh, sure. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So it's almost like you're tapping into something in in, uh, the way time works or whatever. It's, it's, it's a very strange thing just to sort of find yourself sitting there. In fact, I'm pretty well expecting people to say, so what do you think of the election? <laughs> you know, at my launch and I'll have to say, mm, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when did you start writing Box of Secrets? Like, um, have started, you, yeah. have you, like, have you always been writing? Um, well, I started writing this book in the fall of 2020. And um, so obviously when COVID came in, it gave me time to really focus on it. Um, I had written a few things when I was much younger before the kids came and I I went back to law school and all that stuff. And then I, I, those were fiction and they didn't go anywhere, but um, um, I've always liked to write a lot, you know, and and actually I see this with a lot of lawyers. A lot of lawyers like to write and they they also like to act. So, and that's even more prevalent with the ones, the, the courtroom lawyers love to act, you know, like, it, and I've talked to many of them who've said, if they, I didn't go into law, I would have gone into acting. It's just mm-hmm. a strange sort of thing we do, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, I've, I've written for a long time. I've done, uh, actually since about 2007, I've done an awful lot of uh, nonfiction writing for mm-hmm. magazines and newspapers and whatnot. But um, I, I really wanted to get back to the fictional writing and, and that's a completely different beast. Yeah as you well know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. It is. All right. So were there any scenes in Box of Secrets that you found difficult writing just because of the subject matter and what you were writing about? Well, the scenes that I found hard were the, the two scenes where Evie actually is attacked yeah. uh, quite uh, um, viciously. And uh, she's, uh, obviously since she's continuing as a character she comes out of them both but what was hard with those scenes was that Evie has a backstory that that uh, happened when she was at the big law firm which was part of the reasons why a reason why she and Keith left but she had she had a a really devastating experience there and so she started to drink and do other things and then and she settled down but she still carries this anger Okay. that's inside her and and it doesn't come out very often but it comes out when she sees like if there's a physical attack or something bad happens to her or happens around her to people she loves and it will flare up and she's as she goes through this she's she's afraid she's going to slip across the the border and do something vile to the, that person who is is hurting her or hurting people around her and so it's that whole thing of keeping yourself in check when you've been through so much yeah. and, and and it was it was hard to write that just because you, you know as a, as a person who's never been through something quite that traumatic um it's hard to put yourself in their shoes but at the same time when you're thinking about it you're thinking if this had happened to me yeah. a few years ago and I find myself in the situation now and and Evie does remember with her her mother and all that she's always been very spunky so she's not one to back down and cower. She would actually stand up for someone just as, as a matter of course, yeah. let alone when, when you know, her life depends on it. So she's just a little concerned that she might shoot right across that little fence line and 
kill the guy. Yeah. Which is not what she wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. And as an author, you have to go to that, that place, that not so nice place. And, yes. Right. Yes. If you want to make it believable. Yeah. Yeah. If you're trying to stay in the character, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 So like I said before, I like your style. And um, it, as I was reading, I was wondering who your influences are because you, like it's, it's this, this line where she's describing uh, a coworker where she says she had luminous blue eyes and shiny black hair that framed her face like Raven's wings. And I saw it. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I'm the type of person who her, my hair, if I don't slick it down with something, it goes curly because, and we live in such moisture, right? Yes. Yes. I could just picture it. This very composed woman with this, this hair that's just slicked and pristine. So I'm wondering who are your writing influences? Um, is there a particular author who has influenced your writing or you've just, you've read this author's work and thought, whoa, I want to have that impact. Uh, it's interesting because I, um, there are a lot of people I do really like a lot. And I find I, I gravitate to authors who will give you a, a better sense of the, what you're around, who the, what the person looks like, where they're sitting. And some authors, and I, you see this more, I think, now than we did before, write very, very, very dry, uh, clean. Like, if there's hardly anything in there. It's almost like a screenplay, yeah. you know, where it's just he said, she said, and then you don't, you don't even know what anyone looks like or where they're sitting other than they're at home, they're out. And I and so the, the authors, I've, I've, I read an awful lot of um, different things. Uh, one guy that I really like is a British author called Benjamin Black, and he did a, a book about a... a um, murder mystery that happened in the country in Britain, like off in the country somewhere in the middle of winter, and there was a lot of snow. And it's called snow. And my God, the, the way he can describe snow throughout an entire book, you know, I was just, I thought, who knew? So it was just as he was talking about things, and then he would weave different descriptions of people in there. But I'll tell you, one person who's really amazing at this is Stephen King. Okay. And I can't read Stephen King's books because they're two creepy, horrible, awful books. But I love how he writes. And so I will read the first part of these things, usually online or something. And then I'll try to understand how did he do that? How did he create with a few words a picture of somebody? Yeah. Uh, and, and then there's others, you know, like, like I said, uh, Neil Gaiman is fantastic. Uh, Zadie Smith, who's a British author who wrote a book called On Beauty, which has got nothing to do with beauty. It's all about a, a family from England who moves to, to the States and they're a black family. And, and she talks about different things that are going on. So when somebody can actually give you a real sense of where are we? What's the sense of place here? What's going on with the weather and all that stuff? It, it makes a huge difference to me. That's, that, I like that kind of writing. Good, good. Because um, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, actually, no, I'm not ahead of myself because I think you use the five senses when you write. And, and um, I'm, I know there's one part where, you know, Evie's packing up for the evening. And like you say, I, I, I like hearing and she, through her voice, you know, you say one of the elevators word, right? Because they, and, and like, I'm doing the people can't see, but I'm doing the emotion and I'm immediately getting the feeling of it's gone up right yeah, yeah. which is so cool um 
So how do you lay down your story? Like, are you a plotter? Um, do you like try to get the bare bones of it down and then start on the rewrites, which I think is kind of like the fun part, thinking about your location? Um, actually, it's funny. This book and then the one I'm working on now started with a scene that ends, ends, is in the middle. Okay. So this book had that that scene in the in the public washroom yeah. in my head. I had that scene for a long time. Okay. And and I would I would actually go to different washrooms if I was downtown in a restaurant or whatever. And I would look at them and think about if I was trapped here, what would I do? Yeah. Which which was sort of a theme that, that obviously, you know, when you read the book, you can see that in there. And so I had that and I knew who was in there and I knew who was threatening her. And I was thinking about how she got there. And then I went to the beginning and started building up, you know, the, the world that she lived in with her sister and her, her law partner and the, the people in the firm she works with. And then I moved it forward to that scene. And then from there, I had to get to the ending. Yeah. But it, it, the endings are tricky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going yeah. to talk about endings. Yeah. Okay. That, that's neat. That's neat. Because mm-hmm. um, I had, by the time people hear this podcast, I had, they will have heard Jewel Selbo. And she's just come out with 10 days. And she was a screenwriter for ah. 20 years. And she had said to me that when she writes, you know, um, because of her screenwriting experience, um, when it comes to the book, if she's not, if, if she's focused on one, basically like aspect of it, she will write exterior mayhem ex- in, in, ensues, you know, and she'll just <laughs> kind of keep going, you know, with what she's focused on. And then she'll come back to all the exterior mayhem, right? <laughs> you know? so she gives a really good reason why you know the, about behind the exterior mayhem in, ensues right so okay so we've talked about opening paragraphs and i don't think i've talked <coughs> about endings with anyone and i find endings to be difficult um they're either too short or you don't want it to kind of drag on, but you want to tie up all the loose ends. Um, I don't usually know the endings when I'm writing the book. Like it will come to me eventually, but when I start out, I don't know where the, what will be the ending. So how about you? You've been, you were a lawyer. Are you a meticulous plotter um, or the ending? Is it something you discover as you're writing? Like for me, because I know I've changed endings a number of times. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should ask that because I find my legal experience doesn't help with that. You know, as you're right, lawyers tend to be very organized and, and they, they work their way through a case and they're making notes like crazy all the way through and they understand what they're trying to do or where they're trying to get to. In fact, with, with legal, when you're doing case studies in law, you have the facts and then you have the issue and then you have the answer. And then you find out why they got to that answer, you know, the rationale of the case. So you have the ending before you get into how did we get to the ending? Whereas here um, it's the other way around. I find the same thing. I didn't have the ending in this book very clear in my head. I kind of knew that I didn't want Evie or anyone that I really cared about to be dead, but that was about it. And as I got closer to the ending, I thought, I need to to really resolve one of my my themes here, and I need to do it with more emphasis than I did in the first draft. Okay. You know, which seemed to just like it settled itself down, and that was that. Whereas I needed to have a bit more punch as far as let's make sure we wrap this up and wrap it up hard. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. All right. Now I'm going to address, I'll say the elephant in the room. We both do this. Mm -hmm. Um, We write about the sister relationship. Um, Evie has Louisa and I'm loving Quincy. Mm-hmm. The dog, yes. Yeah, and he strikes me as a little sausage on four legs. Is what type yeah. of dog is he again? He's a little bull terrier, okay. and and actually they they are sausages on four legs. They're low, and we had one. He's, he's sort of based on one that we had when we were much younger, and they are so low to the ground that they can literally take down a six foot man. I mean, they are amazingly strong, and um, you know they they're, they're so they're like little football players, but they're really <laughs> low, so they're very very tough. And okay. um, I'm glad you liked him because I, yeah. I liked him a lot. Yeah, yeah I'm just there were, like I remember reading the one part where uh, Evie opens the door and you know little Quincy comes barreling and you say barreling to her, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think you say something on the long lines of "Yes, he does this when I've been away for more than ten minutes." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yes. It's mm-hmm. so cute. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask you this first, mm-hmm. and then that gives me time to think about it too. So why do you like writing about the sister relationship? Because you could have Louisa be a best friend. Okay. She doesn't have to be your sister. Like I was thinking about this this morning. She could be a best friend, you know, she could be a coworker. So why do you like writing about the sister relationship? I I think, well, it stems from our own history, right? You and I are sisters and there's 13 years, I think, between us. So I was zero around five when I got married and left. And yet somehow we've all managed over time, there's four of us, I'm the eldest of four, and we've managed to stay connected. And I've traveled and I've lived in Canada and the US. You guys are on the West Coast. You move from different places on island to the to all over the place. Yeah. We still stayed in touch. And there, what I see is there's a real sense of, of um, um, support, balance, love. There's, there's something that comes from a sister that is greater than what comes from um, like a friend, you said a best friend, you know, so Evie ends up um, inviting Louisa to stay with her. This is early in the book when Louisa goes through this nasty divorce and she thinks Louisa is going to stay there. And and Louisa brings the dog because Quincy is Louisa's dog. And they think that, oh, it'll just be for a little while until Louisa gets on her feet. And that's three years ago. And she's still there. And, and Evie's fine with it because, you know, they've got this wonderful, comfortable balance. And you can I think there's a level of trust that you get with family. If you're in a good family, that is it takes more work with friends. You can get there, yeah. but it's not the same as having that shared experience from the time you were very tiny to where you are now. OK, OK, good. And for me. See, I. I think it's that bond. I'm just thinking about with my characters, Jade and Sage. And, you know, you can, um, and I think of all of us as sisters, like you said, Mm -hmm. the bond that's there. And then I also see my, our daughters, my daughters, Ashley and Kara. Okay. And their sister relationship where they can be really close. Yeah. And like, I know there was, there's a scene in the end of my book where Sage comes across Jade, who's just been through this fight, you know? And um, I remember with Ashley and Kara, you've got the strong bond, but then with them, they would also knock heads too. Oh yeah. I like showing the bond and the fact that they can still knock heads, you know? And if I could share one, 
one little story about those girls, if you don't mind. Okay. Oh, no, you go ahead. So, and I think this is where I get Jade and Sage from because so our girls were teenagers and Ashley had just split up with a boyfriend and Kara went out to stand at the bus stop to go to the high school. And she heard this girl standing there talking about an Ashley and just, she was slamming this girl, Ashley, and just, you know, just not saying nice things. And Kara thought she was talking about her sister, Ashley. Mm -hmm. So Kara starts questioning her and saying, what are you doing? What do you, you know, what were you, what are you talking like that about my sister? You know, and what ends up happening and this, I'm sorry, this is probably not nice. Kara and this girl get in a bit of an altercation and Kara ends up chasing this girl. Like, you don't talk about my sister like this, right? Yeah. yeah. After Kara realizes later, like, uh-oh, she, was talking, <laughs> she wasn't talking about my sister. I just chased this girl. She was talking about some other girl, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's showing, it's even though that they could knock heads, because I know in my story, Jade and Sage will knock heads, you know, mm -hmm. but they still have that bond there at that crucial moment where they're, yeah. they're there for the other. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, now my favorite question. Okay. Here's the thing. I have asked authors this question and, you know, like you give fantastic answers that make me go oh, okay I've learned something right mm -hmm. and then I'll give them this last question and I've had so many go oh god right yeah. so, okay yeah so here we go favorite question and just for you I've added a little slant to it too okay okay, okay. Yeah. so just one moment Susan you and Evie enter the bakehouse two servers approach each of you so a server approaches Evie another server approaches you and they ask you what it is you would like to have and each of you say you would like to have the last espresso macaron that's in the case okay and you and Evie look at each other I was going to say who gets the macaron and why <laughs> yeah. So I think that um, in a case like that, given that Evie and I are both lawyers, yeah. uh, we would uh, sort of step back and look at each other. And then uh, we would, I'm, I'm assuming I know Evie because I did Evie. And, and I would suggest to Evie that uh, given that um, uh, I, I helped create her and given <laughs> that I gave her so much courage and such a spunky character, it might be appropriate for her to let me have that Macron. And she would say to me, uh, Susan, that's nice, but it's totally irrelevant to the Macron. You know, who cares about that? And then we would, we would have this little negotiation. And then she would basically say to me, I'll tell you what, why don't we cut it in half? Yes. And of course I'd realize that's ridiculous because those things just shatter. So then I would end up saying, no, no, you take it. And then she might let me have it. But we would, we would have a very sort of civilized discussion about it. And then we'd probably sit down and have a nice long coffee and have a great time. Oh, good, good. Because mm -hmm. I know you like macarons. I love macarons. And I like macarons. So I thought, okay, okay, let, let's, 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 let's make this, hmm, let's throw a macaron. Serious, in yeah. <laughs> right. so something that you're prepared to go to come to blows over, right? Yes, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. So Susan, where can people find you on the socials? And is there anything you'd like to add? 
Okay, well, where you can find me is at susanjanewright.ca. That's my website. And from there, you can link on to the other things that are there. Um, and uh, also, if I could just remind people that my virtual launch will be happening on October 19th. And I'll make sure that I have a link on there to that um, uh, website. It's, it's a Zoom thing, and we're just going to have a good time. So that way people will know that they can they can just sit in and listen to the, to what we have to say. And I'm looking forward to actually getting out there and uh, getting the book out there. And next time we have this conversation, hopefully we'll do it face to face because this has been fantastic. Oh, good, good. And I was going to say, if you send me the link to your book launch, mm -hmm. this podcast will be coming out the week before and I'll include the link in the show notes. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Susan, this has been a blast. Thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed it, Joanna. And, okay. and like I said, your publishing uh, house has been invaluable to me. And I oh, think people should really consider checking you out because the, the things that you've opened my eyes to as to what's possible uh, is truly, it's, it's amazing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I know the spouse is looking and he's like, more books. You have more. Books. I'm like, look at how they did this. You know, I'm like ripping it apart. Not ripping it apart because I, you don't do that to books. No, but it's just, just like, checking it out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Susan. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Okay,